Have you ever heard the saying, you can't see the forest through the trees? Yeah, some of you, maybe. This is gonna be another like low participation day, isn't it? I'm just gonna have to prepare myself. Okay, well, if you have not heard that saying, kind of the idea is that when we get lo so lost in the specifics, we can lose sight of the main thing, the larger picture. And so we come to this moment today in Ephesians where Paul kind of zooms out. One commentary I was reading said it that this is a typical Paul rabbit trail. He has just talked in verse 7 about Jesus, and then he kind of gets off on this tangent that we're going to pick up on in Ephesians 4, verse 8, and he kind of gets lost in this moment, this little rabbit trail moment, and maybe that's true, or maybe this is one of those zoom out moments. Because as Pastor Lucas was sharing with us last week, we've just had this command, this call to live a life that's worthy of the calling of Jesus. And we've had some of these characteristics that should be present and evident in the life of the Christian. And we're going to kind of come back in. We're going to zoom out right now. We're going to zoom back in next week for a few more as to how we grow. But here's the thing. Growth is expected of us. Bottom line, growth is expected of the Christian. A life of change is expected of us. If we say that we believe in Jesus and then we just live the exact same and there's never any development of the character of Jesus in our lives, we don't actually know him. We haven't actually been saved and redeemed because growth is expected of us. That's why when we did our uh, mission statement here at Evangel, we tried to encompass the fullness of the Christian walk. We aspire to be a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, the very beginning, receive his love, that moment where you bow your knee and you surrender to Jesus, you ask him to forgive your sins. There we go. And look more and more like him each day for the remainder of your life. Looking ever increasingly like Jesus. Because progress is expected of us in the life of a Christian. This journey is one of sanctification, which is just a fun way of saying to be sanctified. And let's break that down even more because it's such a Christian word. It's the process of being set apart, of being made holy as Jesus is holy. And that's well and good. But who in the room has kids, whether they're old or young? You know how there's something where you don't see change when you're so close to the change? Right? Like your kids are fractionally getting taller every single time they wake up. That's how their body is designed. But it can be so hard to notice that they're getting taller until you stick them next to the growth chart. You go, oh, wow. Or you notice that their clothes don't fit anymore. Inevitably, the clothes that you just bought, right? It's always how it works. 
Or if you've been part of a work environment where you've tried to change culture, or you've tried to change some organizational structures, and you've put just little steps in place, it can be hard to see the change until someone who used to know what that organization was like comes back in and they go, wow, I can't believe you made this much progress. Because there's something about us where we can't really see the change when we're too close to it. And that can do one of two things. Like, have you ever tried to lose weight and you've done all of the right things, like all of the right things, and then you step on the scale and you're heavier? Like, that's annoying. And when we get too, like, in the weeds of not being able to see the change that's happening, we can get really frustrated and, number one, either give up or number two, we just don't recognize the miracle that's happening every single day. And so Paul gives us this admonition to live this life worthy of the calling of Jesus in like little momental, momentous changes are supposed to be happening every single day of our life. That's this journey of looking more and more like Jesus, where we wake up and say, God, I don't want to be who I was yesterday. I don't want to partake in the sinful things that broke your heart that I did yesterday. Would you change me? Would you refine me? Would you help me to be obedient to you? Every day, that should be our goal. And if we come to God with full surrender, with a heart fully turned over to him, time spent in his presence every day, we should be changing every day. Not perfection, but progress. But how do we know we're changing? How do we not get so close to it that we miss the miracle of sanctification? And number one, either give up because God's not really working in me. That's not really changing me. Or number two, just like forget to praise him at all and celebrate what he's doing in us. Because we do this with our faith. I think we have this moment, I'm gonna say it's not a rabbit trail that Paul's on, but this zoom out moment of going, hey, I know that I just asked you to change a little bit every day, and I'm about to ask you again to change a little bit more every day, to live mature, to live as adults. But right here, I'm going to give you some ways to recognize when change is happening. And so we zoom out to see Jesus, first and foremost, to see Jesus. And then to see this faith community that we've been called into, that we're not alone. And because everything that God creates has order, the faith community does as well. And then he reminds us once again of the goal because he's constantly reminding us of the goal. Paul is constantly reminding us of keeping our eyes on the prize. So he zooms out. So turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians 4. If you don't have a Bible... It's our favorite thing. We love giving out Bibles. So if you don't have a Bible, we would love to get you one. If you just come and see one of the pastoral staff, we would love to get you a Bible. They're like waiting at the coffee bar for you. But right here and now, if you don't have a Bible, open up your phone. Everyone has a phone. I know it's true. 
and go to the app store. And if you just type in Bible, so many Bible apps are gonna pop up. We personally love the YouVersion Bible app. They have great devotionals in there, but any of them are great. So here we go, Ephesians 4, picking up at verse eight. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. Let's pray. So Father God, we thank you for your word that's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you for your word that reveals your heart to us, but it also reveals ourselves. I thank you for your word that teaches us and corrects us, that encourages us and equips us. So Spirit of God, would you go forth before us right now and prepare our hearts? Would you speak through this mouth of mine? Because Spirit of truth, we want to hear your words, not our own. We want to hear what you are saying to us through the Bible and not our own ideas of who you are and who we are. And so would you prepare us and would you guide us in this text this morning in your precious name, amen. Well, I am so grateful that God doesn't ask for perfection because I for sure am not. I'm not perfect. I'm so far from perfect. And the reality is that we often put on this face for other people that looks very good. I mean, how often can we look at this passage right before in Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 7, and fake our way through it, as long as no one lives in our house, right? Because the masks come off at home. And so, once again, Paul zooms us out to say, I'm not asking you to be perfect, I'm not asking this of you so that you look a certain way or you act a certain way. I'm asking this of you because I want the Holy Spirit to change your heart, to refine you, to perfect you. And you're going to miss change unless you have some things to stand up against, these growth charts, these moments where you come in and you notice that the genes are a little bit short, these moments where you walk back in and you go, oh, More has changed than I thought it has. These zoom out moments. And God is so gracious and patient with us. And I wonder if that's why Paul begins by reminding us to stand next to Jesus. The one who doesn't shame us when we fall short. The one who doesn't guilt us into acting a certain way before he's changed our heart. No, first, Paul just reminds us of who Jesus is. Like, come back and stand next to this growth chart. But before you start standing there and going, oh, man, look how far I have to go. (gasps) I think I'm shorter right now than I was last time I stood next to it. Apparently, that happens, too. I'm pretty sure I'm there. 
before you get all worried and like flustered and feeling the condemnation that the enemy would put on your shoulders, remember Jesus, because he's not like that. Paul reminds us of Jesus, not who we are. He doesn't remind us of ourselves. He doesn't ask us to look first how far we've come. He doesn't remind us of who we are in Jesus. He just reminds us of Jesus. We need to pull our eyes away from ourselves in case we get it all twisted. In case we first of all just miss what God's doing completely or we get so caught up in living this life, this list that is so hard to live out that we make our own law. A law that we've already been freed of, a law that has been perfected through the cross, through relationship with Jesus. Remember Jesus. Verses 8 to 10 remind us of this. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And this is such a strange three verses. So let's unpack it. Because Paul is quoting Psalm 68 with a revision. You see, in the Psalms, when David writes these words, in Psalm 68, they're on the right. He's speaking, he's writing from what he knows. David knows how kings work. David knows how victory works. He was a pretty victorious leader of armies. He understands what happens when the conqueror comes back into a city. He understands that there are parades and accolades and spoils of war and all of these things that are due to the conquering king. He understands that, and he writes this psalm from his lived experience, from his perspective. Paul, on the left, also writes from his experience. Paul, on the left, looks at the king of kings, the lord of lords, the victorious one. And he writes from what he knows to be true about who Jesus is. Do you spot the difference? where the conquering earthly king demands the spoils of war, demands the parades and accolades, what does Jesus, our king of kings, our victorious Lord do? He gives gifts. He comes in, he's the only one who's actually due and worthy of it. And yet he doesn't demand this. He actually says, you know what I'm gonna do to you? The ones that I freed, I'm actually going to make your life better. Where the kings of old would come in and they'd say, I freed you and now you owe me. I want this percentage of your life. I want your sons and daughters to serve me. I want, I want, I want. Jesus comes in and he says, I freed you so you'll have life abundant. I freed you so that in grace your life is full. I freed you for freedom's sake. Live free. He gives generously. 
William Barclay writes, it means that this is who we serve, that the Christ of glory is the same as the Jesus who trod this earth. Still he loves all people, still he seeks out sinners, still he heals those who suffer, still he comforts the sorrowing, still he is the friend of outcast men and women. This conquering king, this king of kings and lord of lords, he doesn't sit in his throne room and go, this is it. He continuously pours out blessing and grace and freedom. He was a God who looked at us in our captivity and he descended from heaven where all of the angels are praising him and worshiping around his throne day in and day out. He humbles himself to come here on this earth to walk in a human body, to be the only one who can atone for our sin, the only one who can mend relationship. And he dies to once and for all conquer sin and death. He takes death itself captive. He takes sin itself captive. And what does he do in his victory? He ascends alive back into heaven and gives good gifts to his people so that his presence can fill the earth. He ascends back into heaven not because he's going back up to his throne room like the kings of old going, okay, I did my job. Now come, glorify me, although we should worship him and glorify him. He doesn't sit back in his throne room to say, now my job is done. No, he ascended to heaven so that the Holy Spirit could come. He ascended back into heaven for our good so that the Holy Spirit could be with each and every one of us, filling the earth, filling the universe, revealing Jesus to us, guiding us into all righteousness, comforting us, giving us boldness to be able to walk out this Christian life and stand in the face of persecution, to hold fast to our faith. And sometimes we can get so intellectual in our faith we can get so trapped in the like next steps, in the progression of faith, that we kind of move past the simplistic truth of the main thing. And that's this, that Jesus came, Jesus died, he rose again victorious, he ascended into heaven as our conquering king, and the Holy Spirit came to guide us in our relationship with God. And we get so intellectual in our faith that we miss this greatest of truths that is so utterly profound that we probably will spend our entire lives trying to understand it and so simple that a child gets it. And it's this truth. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus 
Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. If we move past this, we've lost the point. And so Paul zooms us out. He says, I know I'm asking you to progress in your faith. I know I'm asking you to look like Jesus for one simple truth. Because Jesus loves you. And Jesus came to die for you so that you could be free, so live free. He's victorious. He's our growth chart. But not so that we stand up next to him in guilt and condemnation, but so that once again our heart is softened. Our heart is softened because of the love that he has for us. Why wouldn't we walk out a life changed to look like him? And because he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords and the conquering one, when he comes back victorious from conquering sin and death, he doesn't sit back hoarding all of the gifts. No, he starts to bestow them upon us. And in this, Paul reminds us that we're not alone. We pick up in Ephesians verse 11, 4 verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. William Barclay writes, he has been talking about the qualities of the members of Christ Church, verses one through seven. Now he's gonna talk of their functions in the church. He begins by laying down what was for him an essential truth, that every good thing that we have is the gift of the grace of Christ. Now we have to clarify this for a moment. In Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12, Paul is specifically talking about the church. <laughs> He's talking about this faith community and faith communities like it all across the globe. When he talks about the building up, the word is specifically used when you would build a home, to build a residence, a dwelling place. This is an inward-focused promise, an inward-focused work that we're being given through Jesus. And so God, through Paul, starts to talk about the function of the church. Now, how do we know if we're growing? We stand against this growth chart of Jesus, but we also have a pretty good litmus test based on how our faith community is operating. If our faith community is fractured and full of resentment and bitterness, if our faith community is full of different cliques and factions, we're not looking very much like Jesus. Individually, we are falling short on this progression of faith. If our faith community cannot together do the work of ministry within this faith community, okay? Again, this is building up, speaking specifically about the house and not progressing the kingdom of God. If this church cannot do the work of ministry for the purpose of building up this family, then us as individuals are not progressing in our faith 
And the litmus test that it shows us is that we have work to do individually to get right with Jesus. That's what Paul is talking about here. It's a little bit of a harsh moment. But we're not alone in it. We're talking about the function of the church. And we know that God as creator has an order and a purpose to absolutely everything he creates. And he has a function and an order for the church, the faith community, the body of Christ as a whole, and as individual faith communities too. And this order that we see is nothing new. Sometimes we think that this is like a North American invention. It's not. The order and the function of the church has been around since they waited for the Holy Spirit to come. The function and order of the church has been there, written down in his word since Jesus ascended into heaven and the church began. The function and the order of the church has always been there and will continue until Jesus returns for his bride. And we each play a part in it. We are the body of Christ and we require every part to function as it should. If we don't, the body suffers. It always has and it always will. But how do we continue to know that the function of the church this church and the churches like it all across the globe, how do we know that they're going to continue to be spiritually healthy, spiritually accurate, that they're going to operate in a way that honors God? Well, Ephesians 4 tells us, God gives gifts to the church in the form of people. Because here's the thing that happens. Let me read things like this. We can be so tempted in our humanity to create hierarchies of structure. I don't think that was ever God's design in writing this. I don't think his design was that we would put the prophets and the apostles and the evangelists and the pastors and teachers on a pedestal. Because please don't. Like, I will wobble and then fall pretty quick. And it can go one of two ways. We can either decide that because we have these gifts to the church that somehow the responsibility of the church is on their shoulders because, you know, that's their function. So we don't have to do it because a pastor will do it. I don't have to share my faith with my neighbor because someone who's an evangelist will do it. And I don't have to share what God is putting on my heart prophetically because a prophet will do it. And we just push off the fact that we're the body. And if we don't do our job, the body doesn't work. And on the other side, we make rock stars of humans and then they fall and we point fingers and we throw stones when we did it because we elevated them above Jesus. And so I have hated every moment of having to say these words. 
that there are people who are gifts to the church, not because there's anything special, not because there's anything that's like different about them, not because there's anything that makes God have picked them over somebody else. I don't understand why, but he does. Because somebody needs to make sure that the church is going in the right direction. Somebody needs to make sure that everybody, the body, is pulling and being equipped to do the work of the ministry right here within the four walls, that this body would be strengthened and encouraged. Because somebody needs to stand behind the scenes and pray and intercede. Because someone needs to sit with the word of God without distractions so they can accurately share what God is placing on their heart with the body. Why is it us? I don't know. Because there's nothing special. I don't say that in a self-deprecating way. I just say that in a there's no hierarchy here. In fact, if there was a hierarchy, this, these people that God has placed to serve the church are underneath it because we are there to serve the church. We are there to support the church. We are there to work for this family. We are there to listen from God, say, where are you leading us where are those places that we're not seeing? Where are there cracks and hurts that people aren't sharing? What do you need to do in this family? And so God, in his grace and wisdom, gives these people as gifts to the church. And I was thinking about all of the different bodies and all the different livelihoods that are represented in this room. You know, I couldn't go to a construction site and start working. Derek and Makana do not want me there. I will end up hurting someone. I could not go into a kitchen and start cooking and have people pay me for their meal. They wouldn't. They would demand a refund and some. I couldn't go onto a medical floor and start like pretending to be a nurse or a doctor. I couldn't. Someone's going to get really sick. They're going to miss something that they need. Because I've never been trained in those things. They're not my function. But God calls each of us to a function. And if God calls each of us to a different function... And that's how your body is called to serve God in your workplace and your body is called to serve God in this workplace. Then why do we compare the bodies of Christ to each other? Like we have a God who created 97,000 known species of beetles. That's a creative God. I don't know how many ways you can change a beetle other than color and body size, but not 97,000. And yet he does. And yet we take like our body of Christ, our evangel church, Powell River, 
and we compare our body and our function and our calling to Living Waters, to Westview Baptist, to the church on the internet. And we look at these different bodies of Christ and somehow we expect them all to be the same. Like if God is moving there, if we just did the exact same thing, he'd be moving here. If God's doing that there, if we just had the same kind of personalities on the stage, maybe he would do it here. And the reality is, no, he wouldn't because their calling is their calling. And our calling is our calling. And our function is our function. And their function is their function. And as everybody steps into their purpose, the entire world will see a representation of Jesus that's unique and beautiful and completely authentic to who he is. It's how the body works. We each lean into our calling. And because God loves us too much to watch us flounder in our faith, he gives us these roles, these offices, to help guide us and equip us in the work of ministry. And that word, equip, we see it in verses 12 to 13, coming off of this, why do we have these functions? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become more mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's a double meaning. See, equip works like we think it does. When we equip someone, we train them. Going back to the jobs, we do orientation. We do professional development. We equip people to do what they are called to do. But also, this double meaning is one of restoration. It's a being put to rights. It was a word that was used often in the, the Greek of mending nets and setting bones. It was taking something that had been, like by all accounts, ruined and restoring it back to its point of function. And this is the goal for the church, that each of us who have been broken would be equipped and strengthened and formed for function that we would find our fit, we would find our place in the body of Christ because the body of Christ doesn't work without each one of us. And this is a litmus test for us. This is a growth chart that we stand up next to. How are we doing individually in going through that list from Ephesians 4 verses 1 to 7? I don't know. How's the church doing? How are we each doing in progressing in our maturity as people of Jesus followers of Jesus? I don't know. How is our church doing? Are we a people of unity? Is the body strong? Is the body being built up? Are we creating a place where people can come and reside and dwell? Are we finding the knowledge of the Son of God because we are a people committed to sitting in the study of his word? not just here? Are we attaining the whole measure of the fullness 
of Christ because we're inviting the Holy Spirit to do his work within us. It's a benchmark. We zoom out. How do we know if we're growing and changing? We stand next to Jesus and we look at the forest, not just the tree. David Guzik writes, as years pass by, we should not only grow old in Jesus, but more mature in him as well. As both individuals, as a corporate body, we can wrongly value movement over growth. Mere movement is being tossed to and fro, but God wants us to grow up in all things. I'm going to call the worship team back. You know, next week we're going to look at this markers of maturity. Not just getting older, but becoming mature. This is the goal. The goal is that we would look more and more like Jesus each day, that we would make him famous, that we would be convinced of his love for us, and we would give our lives over for his purpose. That we would give our lives over to each other. That we would build the body of Christ. You know, over the past few weeks, we've, in announcements, you're probably going to know what I'm saying. We've been talking about community groups and serving. What do you want out of your fall? Where do you want to invest what are the gifts and the things that God has placed in you for the purpose of the body? Because we need it all. If even one person sits back and says, I don't need to do it because someone else will, the body suffers. What is the litmus test? our individual walk with Christ? I don't know. Look around. How's the body doing? Do you have grievances with someone here? Do you have resentment and bitterness with somebody here? Do you have unforgiveness with somebody here? Then the body's suffering. Is there a segment in this body that feels neglected and feels forgotten and feels overlooked? And the body is suffering. Are we getting stronger? Are we growing in faith? Are we having faith conversations? Are we deepening our relationship with God and our understanding and knowledge of him? Are we growing in the fullness of Jesus? If not, the body's suffering. And it's not up to the five functions of the church to fix the body. It's up to the body to be healthy. It's up to each one of us to grow closer to God and say, Holy Spirit, where do you want to use me to build up the body? 
Holy Spirit, where is there sin in my life? You need to come and do a work of cleansing me, purifying me. Holy Spirit, where are those places where I've neglected you? Where I've chosen the things that I see, those temporary things, instead of spending time with you? Holy Spirit, where are those offenses that I'm carrying? Where I need to have forgiveness and forgive in return, where I need to do a work of unity and restoration in the body. How do we know that we're growing? We'll know it. We look like Jesus more each day. And when our body is healthy and strong, when we love each other well and when we serve each other well, when we're willing to lay down our time and our talents and our tithes to build up this community. Do you join me in prayer? God, by your design, you asked us to be part of community. By your design, you laid out the foundations of the church. By your design, you gave us what the foundations and the framing look like, that we would be growing in relationship with you, that we would listen to your word of God preached, that we would pray, that we would remember the Lord's Supper together, and that we would encourage and strengthen one another. And all of the rest, it's wonderful. But it's method. And so, Holy Spirit, right now, would you give us eyes to see how the body is doing? And let that be a litmus test to how each one of us is doing. Would you search us and know us? Not just to see if there's sin within us, but to see if there's disunity within us. If we've allowed bitterness to take root, offense to take root, would you break down walls in this place? Would you let grace and forgiveness flow in this place. And God, I thank you that you have called every faith community to a unique purpose and function. And so we thank you for what you've called evangel to. 
to be your heart reflected in Powell River, not like everybody else, unique and beautiful and fully looking like you because you are so vast. And we can each be walking out a perfectly called purpose and look nothing like the other churches and be honoring you in it. And so would you help us not to turn our heads to the right or the left, but to follow after your voice of what you've called this body to. Not in comparison, not in jealousy, not in defeat, but walking completely convinced of what you've called this body to fully alive and awake in the purpose that you've called this body to, to build each other up in unity, to support and pray for one another, to come alongside one another, to come alongside our kids and our teenagers. Because God, we know through the DNA of this church that that room and those young people that are sitting in here, that is such a large part of the DNA of Evangel Church. And so we can stand confident, God, that you have asked us to pass on our faith to the next generation because you've told us in your word and you've made that a part from the very beginning of what you've done in this body. So would you help us not to neglect them, but to train them? Would you protect them? And would you rise up the men and women in this church to serve them? So Holy Spirit, would you show us? Would you show us how we're doing and walking after you of looking more and more like you as we stand next to Jesus and as we zoom out to look at how your body is faring? We love you. We delight in you. And we desire to serve you. In your precious name.